0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. hole forwards round number two hello and welcome to blue notes your hockey podcast network home for your reigning
1: defending undisputed champion of the world
0: and will be for some time even longer the st louis blues i'm your host tom franklin joined as always by the man called wags wags back for another week how's it going man It's going great.
2: Uh, You know, we've got a lot of really exciting Blues news that kind of came down this week, which kind of helped, you know, solve the wound of sticking around uh, the house a lot. Uh, A lot of great matchups during our goalies and defensemen's bracket as well. Some surprises, some close matchups. So it was actually a really exciting week in hockey for me. Uh, I'm exhausted after work, but I'm really, I'm really excited to start talking to hockey again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Doug Armstrong, I guess maybe he was going stir crazy in his house too. get some business done and uh, solves three problems, maybe creates a fourth, though. We'll we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, of course, this is episode number 55, or as I like to call it, the Colton Pareco episode of Blue Notes uh, with an assist from Cam Jansen, of course. He didn't um, get many of those. <laughs> that, exactly. You know what? This this will be one of the one of the one of the few in his career. I'm, I mean, we'll if we have a game puck lying around, we'll put some tape around it and uh, you know send it to him. How about that? Sounds good. You know, number uh blue notes assist number one. Uh, date for for 2020. There we go. Uh, all right. So uh, of course we have our bracket of our own continuing uh, this week. And uh, we just took care of the defense and uh, goaltenders round two. A lot of good matchups and a lot of close votes, and I and we're we're gonna break those down for in case uh, you uh, were unavailable on Twitter this week. Very close matchups that I and I think the results kind of deserve some discussion just because it's just some very surprising close matchups too.
2: Yeah, very surprising, and, and thankfully the fans uh, say, uh, solved the problem that we were going to have if uh, Barkley and Bob tied, so they made a
0: decision on that one, which uh, makes our job a little bit easier. It does, it does, yeah, and that was also you know a fairly close matchup, I think. Uh, um, we'll, we'll go over that here in just a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, uh, for the week ahead, we will be doing the second round of the before-hole forwards and the after-hole forwards region. And a couple of good matchups in there uh, that uh, we will uh, bring to you as well. I think there will be a uh, couple more close matchups. One, I think, in particular. Uh, but we'll get to that here uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, but first of all, we have hockey news. Actual hockey news. Living, breathing, honest-to-goodness hockey news. Not just fantasy world, you know, uh, bracketology here on Blue Notes. News. And really... It's this was Doug Armstrong kind of catching the hockey world by surprise a little bit, because as you all know, we're kind of in an uncertain world right now where uh, the economy of the NHL's you know, taking a pretty bad hit. There's no hockey being played. It looks like the regular season may be just done um, playoffs, if anything, at this point. And, but although I think that's even kind of looking a little bleak at this point. So with some uncertainty about the salary cap coming up. And it looks like, according to Andy Strickland, it might be 81.5 mil, which is exactly what it was last season. Um, there's there's teams are starting to look at their upcoming free agents and wondering, you know, how they're going to fit them all in. Well, Doug Armstrong just goes all YOLO this week and uh, re-signs Sammy Blay. That was the first this week. Uh, two years, one and a half mil per, very reasonable for him. The second one got raised some eyebrows, and I was happy to see him back, but some fans got a little bit of anxiety because of it. Marco Scandella will be a St. Louis Blue for the next four years, signing a four-year extension uh, or or new contract, rather, worth $3.275 million per year. Worth noting, that's a cut on his $4 million that he was making this year as part of his previous deal. Also worth noting, it's about what J-Bo Meester made. I think he gets a small bump from what Bo Meester made when he basically, that signing tells me that he is effectively going to be the J-Bo replacement on this team in both role and contract and everything. And then the final signing was a uh, Mackenzie McEachern uh, re-signing for $900,000 one-way deal, so that tells me, they plan on him being with the club for the next, uh, I think that was a two-year deal on that one. So, Wags, when you saw these signings, especially the Scandella one, what was your reaction?
2: Well, we knew that Scandella was definitely a target, somebody that we had talked about wanting us wanting to stick around. Uh, he stepped in in bow spot and really kind of seamlessly became Bow Meester Light. Uh, working with Pareko, uh, they teamed up very well together. I mean, it took him literally a game to really get accustomed to the blue system and what he was doing here. And he fit in so well with the team. I uh, didn't make waves, just came in, did his job and did it very, very well. And we were really hoping that they would find a way to sign him. Uh, and they did, which means they've got an eye for the future. Uh, but what does that future include? Because with that signing, people are now freaking out about Alex Petrangelo and if he's going to stick around. But the other two signings of Blay and McEckern might be signaling where this team is going as far as direction is concerned. Because those two guys signing allows you to maybe find a way to cut some weight Uh, in the higher contracts as far as a guy like Alex Steen or Tyler Bozak's name's been thrown around a little bit as well. So it gives Army some options uh, if compliance buyouts and things along those lines are available to the teams coming out of this uh, whatever we're going to call it. It's not a lockout, but it's a suspension of play. So it it seems like Army's really kind of setting the table for either this is the team going forward without Petrangelo or this is what we've got. Here's who we can cut to keep the captain in a blue note.
0: Yeah, the I, I had a chance to read Jim Thomas' article on the scandalous sighting And, you know, he talked to Doug Armstrong. And Armstrong kind of the, – the, the feeling was that Armstrong wanted to re-sign these guys to see what they have, you know, going forward and what needs to be done uh, to get Petrangelo signed up. He still says that is a priority uh, for sure. And but at the same time, he also says he has a plan, you know, which um, which which tell which which with these signings, I could have kind of guessed that already. Um, but uh, him for him to come out and say he definitely has a plan for Petrangelo, that uh, that's pretty telling. And it tells me that he I he, he either knows something about the salary cap coming up that that we don't. Uh, again, any Strickland and others have come out and said it's probably going to be eighty one and a half million dollars. Others say it's likely going to be $81.5 million for the next couple of years just because of the way the revenue is uh, uh, going right now. Um, So we'll see. Maybe he knows about the potential for compliance buyouts coming out, as you mentioned. I was kind of thinking about that during this past week when I was thinking, when when Scandella signed, it's like, okay, so to free up money for Petrangelo, Jake Allen, 4.35 mil, someone would probably trade for him. I, I think he has elevated his trade value enough and he's got a one year deal left. You can tra- you can find a team for Jake Allen, I think, and that wouldn't be too much of an issue. Um, you know, I mean I mean it'd probably be like a second or third round pick coming back for him, uh, honestly with the with one year left and his money kind of up a little bit. Um, but you know, it it would be some something, something similar to like what with Brian Elliott, you know, when they dealt him to Calgary for a second, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Bozak at five million dollars. He uh, let's face, it, he's a center in his thirties, who is a good defensive descent, uh, defensive center, definitely an asset. Not a number one, and he makes five million dollars per. I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to take that on. Wags, that's a. I know he's a popular name mentioned as a guy going out, but I don't think anyone trades for him, especially with the salary cap climate the way the way it is now
2: well and, and the, what I was reading is that Bozak might be a, a candidate for a buyout as well um, yeah. if, if teams are allotted two buyouts you know you could buy out Steen and Bozak and if you're able to trade Allen between those three guys that frees up the money for Trangelo and for a guy like Vince Dunn because we get we all forget he's a restricted free agent going into the next season as well so if, if you're keen on keeping Dunn you have to find a way to fit him into that as well and then, you you know, you talk about all this stuff, and you still have to figure out how you're going to re-sign a guy like Jaden Schwartz uh, coming up in 21-22. Uh, you got Sanford and Barbashev up as restricted free agents, but they're arbitration eligible, so that actually gives them some options. Uh, and then you also have to think about, how you are going to re-sign Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. So, there's a lot of pieces that go into this, mm-hmm. and yes, a lot of money is going to be freed up when Steen and Bozak and a couple other guys come off the books, uh, but... You know, this is the point in time where you gotta look in the mirror and go, where's the best allotment of our money needed to be used? And it, it might be in letting a guy like Petrangelo walk elevating Pareco and re-signing your young talent.
0: Yeah, Bennington is also up as well. Yep. You know, they gotta re-sign him as well. And he's probably gonna want to raise from what he's been making. So uh I think he's at four and a four and a half right now, I think. Something some four point four maybe. Four point four, yeah. Yeah, four point four. So yeah, he'll he'll probably want something closer to five at least. Um, so again, a guy like Bozak, you, if you buy Bozak out, he is still young enough to where you can save two thirds from that. That's the issue that kind of comes up with Steen. you know, is that he is now over that 35 year mark. So you'd only get about a third of a cap savings off of him. Uh, so that kind of, then it becomes kind of like a, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze kind of a, kind of a thing there. But I was thinking like during this past week, you know, I wonder with with the financial situation the way it is, if the NHL and the NHLPA could come to a deal where they would allow teams like a like a complete amnesty buyout where, you know, there is no cap ramifications. You can just tell someone Bye. uh and then and then then nuke then nuke their salary into orbit. And I was thinking about that with Steen. But then then I then I thought, you know what? Why? Why stop at Steen? Why not Falk? You know,
2: yeah, it's a good question. I mean, he's making six and a half million uh, a year after this. Uh, he's only 28. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's you, you understand why they brought him in, why they signed him long term, and, and things along those lines. But his, uh, I guess, play over the last year hasn't been what we would thought of, of Justin Falk. Um, I mean, it's interesting considering he's coming. To, he came to a new conference, came to a new team, came to the Stanley Cup defending champions. So there's a lot. There are a lot of factors going into it as to why maybe he struggled a little bit. And I, I personally would like to see him get a, another year here to to really see if he fits into this system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, if he doesn't, then you got the Seattle draft the following year, and maybe you can push him out. Um, yeah. But it, 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 if they give you the ability to to do a, an amnesty amnesty free buyout and you really want to keep petrangelo here that's that's got to be the direction you go
0: yeah and, and, and that even that may be wishful thinking because there's been like no chatter of doing that at this point but i'm just kind of thinking with the economic situation maybe that would help some teams but uh uh that that is something that has yet to be done um but yeah and in the case of falk i mean it's it's it, it it's sad that it's kind of come to this with him I mean, I don't think he's been like the worst player, you know, for the, you know, on the ice Not you know, that far from it, but it's just, he is not, he's already not worth the six and a half mil that he'll make yeah. next year and beyond that. That's the issue. And, you know, and, and not, not only that, but like I read Jeremy Rutherford's uh, mailbag on the athletic this past Friday. And one of the things that he talked about was how Scandella coming in and hitting the ground running and looking like he's been playing with this team for years, kind of blew the argument that Falk was having trouble adjusting out of the water, you know, and, and and kind of, you know, the, the, the BS radar kind of went off for, for, for some people. So that's kind of where, that's where Falk stands right now. And I I think, you know, I, I like to think if Armstrong can can find a way to get out from under that deal, I mean, of course he's got a no, uh, no trade clause, no movement clause, I think. Uh, So that's going to be hard to do. But if there's a way that Armstrong could get out of that deal, I think he would, you know, especially because that that would be probably your biggest barrier to re-signing Petrangelo.
2: The the one thing, the one argument I'd make against uh, people, you know, losing their mind about Falk not adjusting, just have to remember, Scandell has played in the Central Division in the Western Conference his entire career, whereas Justin Falk has played on the East Coast playing Eastern Conference hockey, which, as we've seen when the Blues play Eastern Conference teams, The Western Conference style is wildly different than East. So I can see where people are like, well, dude, Scandella came right in and fit in, Falk didn't. There is a small, small argument for Falk's lack of adjustment. But then once again, Ryan O'Reilly came over from the East as well. Granted, he started his career in the Western Conference with Colorado, but he he did spend time in the East, but he came in and hit the ground running essentially right off the bat as well. So there's arguments on both sides. I don't think it should take a full year for you be, to be able to get adjusted to a team and a conference, yeah. but maybe that's the case with Falk. And next year, he comes out of the gate if he's still with this team, and then just shocks everybody and is a top pairing defender the whole season. We'll see.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we will definitely see for sure. I mean, and that'll be a good thing because it means we'll have hockey actually going on. So that'll be a great thing to see. Uh, of course, so uh, we'll see what the Blues do from here. Again, I, I trust Army. I trust the process. I think, I think we'll be fine, guys. I think, I think everything will be okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so I do, I'm just looking forward to looking forward to the return of hockey for sure. So, uh, but in the meantime, we have our uh, bracket of our own to get through here, where we uh, try to whittle down 64 Blues players into one greatest of all, all time, the one goat. And uh, we just completed the second round of the defense and goaltenders region. And we're going to break down the results for that after we get a word from our co-founder, Isha Jiromi.
1: This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will Thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming.
0: All right, Isha, thank you very much for, uh, for that reminder, and uh, yes, it is very important to stay healthy during this uh, pandemic, so thank you for that message, and thanks to Manscaped for uh, doing what they do. All right, uh, so we are going to run down the results of round two of a bracket of our own, the defenders and the goalies. A lot of close matchups, Wags, uh, so so tell us who, who advanced
2: Certainly, in the defensive brackets, uh, there actually there were three that were not super close, and one that actually was the one we expected. In the uh, one 9 matchup, Chris Pronger easily handled Jay Beomester, ninety four percent to six percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, sets, up, <clears throat> pardon me, sets up a very very intriguing matchup with the next uh, player on our list. Bob Plager took down his brother, sixty eight to thirty two. Uh, we were split 50-50 on that. Uh, the fans actually helped us out and made a choice. <laughs> and because Bob won that matchup, it really is going to make this uh, Chris Pronger, Bob Plager one really interesting because it's going to come down to what Pronger did on the ice and for the team versus what Bobby Plager is continuing to do for the St. Louis blues organization. We thought this was going to be a cakewalk for Pronger. It may not be uh, as easy as a, of a path as we thought.
0: Yeah. I w- yeah. When I saw Pronger demolish Jay Bo Meester 94 to six, I thought, okay, who the hell is going to stop Chris Pronger? I mean, he is going to fee-fi-fo-fum his way into, you know, the finals on this one. And then Bob and Barkley ends up becoming a close matchup. And But 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 even still, even despite, I mean, Bob still won with a measurable amount you yep. know, over his brother, um, which tells me that the that Blues fans that voted on this have that connection to Bob Plager. Uh, a very warm and 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 good connection with him whereas they may not have that with Chris pronger um you know especially a lot of younger fans I mean you know maybe maybe fans that uh grew up in the 2000s you know don't remember when Chris pronger was a blue even at all um you know they don't see what he did in the blues uniform but they've seen Bob plager and they've seen this this kindly old man you know finally getting his uh you know run with the cup so I'm looking forward to that matchup. I think that one's going to be a close matchup for sure. And I can't wait to see it.
2: Yeah, agreed. Uh, in our bottom half of the bracket, Alex Petrangelo took down Rob Ramage, 90 to 10. Uh, and then Al McKinnis 70% over Colton Pareko, 30% closer than we thought. Still not as close as I thought it would be. Um, give it another five years. And Pareco maybe is the two seed taking down McKinnis in the, in this kind of bracket. But uh, McKinnis is going to move on to face Alex Petrangelo.
0: And once again, Another matchup that you're like, oh, this you, could be very good. And how do you separate those two? I mean, it's it's McGinnis. I think McGinnis has the production edge on that one. But then you have Petrangelo being the captain for so long as he has, um, and then not only that, but what have you done for me lately? So that's gonna be a good one as well. And I, mm, I, I, I have my own bias towards that. I, I'm a I, I'm a big McGinnis fan, but. That's, that's going to be a tough one for Al. I think it is. I, I w- actually, it would not shock me if Petro takes out McInnes there.
2: Yeah, I think you may have a lot of people do the whole what have you done for me, late, me lately. Petrangelo brought a cup to St. Louis. McInnes never did, no. but he was such a huge part of... The Blues organization still is, obviously, being up in the management section. So technically, you could say he did
0: help bring a cup to St. Louis as Mm -hmm. well, just not as a player. (laughs) But but and the unfortunate thing for McInnes was that, you know, while he was a blue, I mean, there's no doubting that he's a great player. He's a Hall of Famer, very deservedly so. But he always kind of played in Chris Pronger's shadow a little bit here. He was always it was always Pronger and McInnes. It was not McInnes and Pronger. You know, I mean, Pronger was considered by during their both of their times here as the better defender. You know, he won the Hart Trophy after all. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see this this next round matchup. It's 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 this one could be as close to 50 50 as I think we've been this entire tourney.
2: Agreed. Agreed. I think uh, we're going to definitely defend support on both of these matchups in the defensive bracket Uh, over in the goalie bracket. um, Jordan Bennington easily took Eric Glenn Hall 100 percent to zero. I think we both kind of saw that one coming yeah. uh, a couple of matchups that were super close and maybe the, the, the percentages don't in, you know indicate this, but Curtis Joseph uh, beat out Brian Elliott 64 to 36. Uh, it was a really close matchup there. And then the other one that went back and forth for a good portion of the voting uh, bracket was Mike Liute and Jake Allen. Uh, Liut was able to sneak out with a 54 to 46 win over Jake Allen. And that one, was a very big surprise for both of us. I think
0: I was not expecting that match to be as close as it was, and and that's partly due to the fact that I I know the troubles that Jake Allen has had with the fan base here in St. Louis, you know, and you know he's he's not the favorite um, uh, of many, you know, here in St. Louis. But to have him come up with that kind of support, I mean, again, I think it was a little bit of what have you done for me lately? A lot of people you know, don't remember the blues from the early eighties at all. So they would have to like get educated on how good Mike Leut was. That, and also it just kind of goes to show you how underrated Mike Leut is, period. Um, but yeah, 54 to 46. That's, uh, uh, that's, that, that was, that was an amazing, you know, to watch on the final day and the final hours just how close it was. Um, and maybe I was wrong about Jake Allen. Maybe I was wrong about Jake Allen's uh, fan base here in St. Louis. Uh, Maybe I was, you know, (laughs) him getting 46 percent of the vote over a guy who almost won the heart, you know, in the in 1980. I mean, that's just incredible.
2: It it just shows you uh, that our thought process is correct. And the fact that Jake Allen needs somebody to push him to be the best
0: and that's <laughs> literally what happened well and, and apparently brian elliott was the same way with, uh, with with curtis joseph
2: yes yes exactly i mean that was a lot closer than i thought as well and a final uh matchup grant fear over halak 88 to 12 so sets up some really interesting matchups jordan bennington versus curtis joseph and and for me that's really big because bennington this year when they did the uh the, the mid-90s jerseys He took on the persona of Curtis Joseph with the mask and everything like that. So kind of seeing a, not necessarily a mentor mentee relationship, but just a guy that, you know, Bennington grew up watching and and emulates now here in St. Louis that could be a very, very interesting matchup. And then Liut versus fear. I mean, both guys that for our fan base and for a lot of the fan bases, two guys that a lot of people don't remember, but were phenomenal as blues. If, if Fjord wasn't hurt, the Blues probably won the Stanley Cup in '96. Liut almost won the Hart Trophy. One of the best goaltenders on a very, very bad team. So that one's going to be a really tight matchup as well.
0: I, I, and I will. The only thing I'll guarantee next, the next time uh, we come back to this, uh, these regions is that uh, Jordan Bennington will not sweep this time. He has swept. No. He has swept both, uh, both of his matchups so far against Greg Millen and Glenn Hall. I think Kuja's going to get a few votes. Um, I don't think it'll... I Personally, I don't think it'll be enough, but uh, that's that one could be closer than people think. And then Liute and Fuhr, that's going to be a tough one for people to separate, I think, uh, because, again, Liute has had... Um, it, this is a case of two guys that had two really good years with the Blues. Liute's first two years in the Blue Note were great. I mean, he was a heart contender for both of those, and he nearly won it in, in one of those years. And then you have Grant Fuhrer, the year that he played 79 games and then was could have led the Blues to a cup if Nick Kiprios, I meant the guy that who shall not be named, although I just did, hadn't mauled his knee to death. Um, so it, it's 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 going to be an interesting one for sure. I, I give Fuhr the slight edge on that, but I'm going to try to make the case for Liute next week.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think is going to get the edge for me just because of the age he was when he did what he did. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Liu, when he was second in the heart and then uh, another runner-up the next year, he was still early in his career. He was still young. Uh, yes, he was playing in a in a wildly different league, but Führer, what he did at his age and his dominance, especially coming off of where he was at in L.A. the year previously, mm-hmm. for me, that's going to be it. But we'll make those arguments next week when we talk about uh talk about this uh, third round matchup
0: yep so in the meantime we have uh both of our forward brackets here in the second round um we uh go ahead and run down the matchups for us certainly week.
2: in the uh in the before hall bracket we have uh the one c bernie for against number eight joe mullen uh five four matchup doug gilmore versus red berenson And then we have Gary Unger, the three seed, versus Jorgen Pedersen at the sixth seed. And then uh, Brian Sutter, the two seed, taking on Wayne Babbage, the seventh seed. Over in the after Hall bracket, we have the number one seed, Brett Hall, versus number nine, Adam Oates. Going to be a fun one to talk about there. Uh, The upset of the second round, or first round, really, Ryan O'Reilly, the 12 seed, over uh, against number four, Pavel Dimitra. Then we have Keith Kuchuk, the three seed, against Doug Waite, the six seed. And then another upset, we had number 10, Pierre Turgeon. He's going to go up against Vladimir Tarasenko. And I think that one is going to have a lot of people arguing about uh, who's going to win this one because that one, in the first round, Pierre Turgeon and Alex Steen got a lot of traction. And a lot of people think Turgeon's one of the most underrated Blues players in history. And yeah. they go up against a guy like Tarasenko, this could be very, very interesting.
0: It could be. Uh for me the the one to look the to, to watch is O'Reilly versus Demetra. Yeah. Uh that is I mean, the people forget how great Demetra was. We'll we'll get to that matchup here in a little bit, but I can't deny that O'Reilly has a lot of support. Yes. You know, he, he not only did he upset um his first round matchup David Backus, he routed David Backus eighty seven to thirteen. You know that was that was that was more of a surprise than the, than the upset itself, uh. So, but maybe that's again, you know, kind of like as I was saying with Jake Gallon, maybe uh, maybe I underestimated their uh, his fan base. So Could we'll be. we'll uh, we'll get to that matchup here in a little bit. But our first matchup, we're gonna start off with the before hall bracket, um, age before beauty, of course. Um, number one, Bernie Federico versus number eight, Joey Joey Mullen. And now and before I we get to, you know, comparing these two, I will say that out of the matchups that we have today in both regions, uh there are five Hall of Famers that are in among the uh 16 participants here. This is the only one that features Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer. So, and one of them's an 8 seed. Wow. And one of them's an 8 seed which uh kind of goes to show you the folly of uh of why he was, you know, of when he was traded away from St. Louis, um, that, that being Joey Mullen, uh, Bernie Federico. I mean, what haven't we said about him already? That needs to be said. I mean, he is Mr. As far as forwards goes. I mean, he is probably, you know, one of the most loyal servants to the St. Louis blues, just in general, he played 13 years in the blue note, uh, 927 games in total. He, uh, was over a point per game guy. He had 352 goals, 721 assists for 1,073 points in the blue notes. He was a minus 123, but that's indicative. I think of some of the teams that he played for in the eighties, uh, blues were still kind of up and down in the eighties. And then they were still kind of bad in the early part of that. Um, he played one year in Detroit after he was traded for Adam Oates, um, and, uh, Also, Paul McClain as well, um, who uh, played one year for the Blues, and then actually one and a half years for the Blues, and then he kind of rode off into the sunset. Um, And then, of course, Durko has been a part of Blues television broadcasts, I think, almost since the year he retired. I mean, it it feels like he's been there that long. He takes on Joey Mullen, who, uh, of course, is a Hall of Famer, maybe more so for his exploits elsewhere, although... He split his time in the NHL almost evenly among three teams. He played five years in St. Louis, 301 games. He had 151 goals, 184 assists for 335 points. So the Blues had to have known that this kid was good uh, during his time there. Uh, He played six years in Pittsburgh and five years in Calgary. Um, More games with those places, Uh, but he played a total of 16 years in total. And of course, he is a Hall of Famer. Joey Mullen ended up leaving St. Louis. Uh, He left, uh, he went to Calgary, as many Blues players have done in the past. He went with Terry Johnson and Rick Wilson for Eddie Beers, Charles Bourgeois, and Gino Cavallini, the prize of that trade. And when Gino Cavallini is the prize of any trade, he probably didn't do well. Uh, Not that Gino wasn't a bad player, but let's face it, he's not a Hall of Famer. He is not a legend. Uh, So... For I mean, for me, Wags. I mean, I I don't think you can stack these two up and their Blues contributions next to each other and not say it's Firdurko. Uh, I mean, Firdurko has meant. I mean, and not only that, but we were talking about how much you know support Bob Player gets because of his ambassadorship for the Blues. I think he had to get the same same argument to Firdurko here.
2: I think so too, and I think Firdurko is going to end up winning this one because his contributions for the Blues has been. I wouldn't say legendary like Bob Blager, but it, it, when you think of the Blues and you think of Blues alumni, his name jumps to the top of the list almost every single time because he's so prominent in the Blues telecasts and postgame and pregame and commercials and, and just anything Blues-related when it comes to needing a face, it's going to be Bernie Federico. And yeah. we always, we've always we talked about this a couple of different times. That you know We continue to forget that a guy like Joe Mullen and a guy like, who in our next matchup, Doug Gilmore, these guys played for the Blues. These guys were essentially they're beginning their career in St. Louis. Um, you can make the argument that if you were to extrapolate Mullins uh statistics out to the same amount of games that Federico had, you actually he would be pretty close as far as point total is concerned. Yeah. So he he was a very lucrative and productive offensive person. And he also ended up winning the Lady Bing twice in his career. Uh with, with St. Louis, he wasn't a penalty taker. He was only a minus one. Uh, when he moved into Pittsburgh and in Calgary, his plus minus went way up. So you knew he was a really good defensive forward as well. So he kind of was like the whole package and it still baffles me as to why the Blues were so keen to trade him coming off of a 92 point season in 84, 85. How were you not wanting to keep this guy around? So it, it could have came down to money or, or something along those lines, possibly. Cause that was the mid eighties team and they tended to do that. Uh, but in the long run, when you look at it, this is a Bernie Frederico win uh, as much as we like Joe Mullen, Frederico is the guy here.
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. And then, um, and as, as far as why Mullen was dealt uh, going to the old Wikipedia here, he had 92 points in 84, 85, and then Mullen missed the first three days of the Blues training camp prior to the 85-86 season in a contract dispute uh, before agreeing to a one-year deal. But I guess uh, the, the, the the bridge had been damaged too much. And in February of 1986, he was dealt to the Calgary Flames as part of the trade that I mentioned. The Flames felt they needed a quality offensive player, expected Mullen to fulfill that role. And it, as, it was the first time in his career that he had been traded. Mullen was initially upset at the move. He was awed by the reaction he received in Calgary, however, and now he is considered kind of a Calgary Flames legend. So, basically, the the long story short, Joey Mullen was traded away from the Blues because of money.
2: And, and there you go. That, that's that's
0: going to be the theme of the '80s. That that really is because it's the same reason why the Blues gave away Mike Leut to to Hartford. It was it was money, 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 and money. And they actually, uh, you know, Leut I think was dealt around '84. And then Mullen was dealt, this would have been 86 for Mullen. So, yeah, they had some financial issues in the 80s. The Blues did, that's for sure. And that cost them some uh, great players, no doubt about that. Uh, our next matchup here uh, is going to be the number four-seeded Red Berenson against number five Doug Gilmore. Uh, Red Berenson, if you're a non-Blues fan, and I and I say the words Red Berenson, you probably think of his coaching tenure with the uh, Michigan Wolverines. Deservedly so. He's one of the all-time great college coaches of all time. Uh, During his NHL career, though, he played eight years for the St. Louis Blues. He was a part of those expansion-era teams that went to the Stanley Cup the first three years. He played 519 games in the Blue Note, scored 172 goals, 240 assists for 412 points. He was a minus 57 during his time. A lot of that was because he returned to the Blues... Uh, in the uh, mid-70s, played three years to the Blues and had a minus 10, a minus 28, and a minus 20 in three of those years. So that alone dragged his plus-minus from a plus-one down to a minus 57. So there you go there. Um, Berenson was traded away from the St. Louis Blues. Uh, The date was uh, February 6, 1971. He was traded to Detroit by St. Louis with Tim Ecclestone for Gary Younger. And Wayne Connolly, a deal eerily reminiscent of the one that sent Federco to Detroit almost 20 years later for Adam Oates. So, you know, kind of odd parallel there. Uh, He is taking on Doug Gilmore. Doug Gilmore, he is a Hall of Famer. One of the uh, few Hall of Famers we have here in this uh, round two uh, between both forward regions. Gilmore uh, played five years for the St. Louis Blues. Had probably some of his better years with the Blues, if, if I'm being honest. 384 games played, 149 goals, the most out of any of his stops in his career, by the way. uh, 205 assists and 354 points. He was a minus 12. And during his time in St. Louis, he was uh, fifth in the heart and sixth in the Selkie in his final full season uh, with the St. Louis Blues. He played 72 games a year uh, after, but didn't have the numbers uh, that uh, matched his first year. And then Gilmore was traded to Calgary, like many Blues uh, back in that day, with Mark Hunter, Steve Bozick, and Michael Dark for Mike Bullard, Craig Cox, and Tim Corkery, another pitiful return from the Calgary Flames in a trade involving a Blues Hall of Fame forward stop me if you've heard that one before. (laughs) Uh, Now, to be fair, when the Blues, uh, and and, and I I often, you know, thrown these guys that the Blues got for Gilmore under a bus and ran them over repeatedly. In Mike Bullard's defense, the year before he was traded to St. Louis with Calgary, he had 48 goals and 55 assists for 103 points. It was his best year by far, and he was considered a productive forward up until that point and then he came to the blues, and I have no idea what the hell happened. But he was not he was definitely not not Doug Gilmore, that's for sure. So to me, Wags, this one is you know Barringston played for the blues a lot longer. He didn't have the offensive numbers and the flair that Doug Gilmore had. Um I think Gilmore in his time was statistically more impressive. Now keep in mind, Gilmore played in the early 80s, which meant everyone was scoring goals. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was. Your, your, your mom could have scored probably about, you know, 15 goals a season back then. Um it was uh it was a different era for sure. And to me, in terms of blues history, I don't think Gilmore gets the high gooey gushy feelings that Red Baronson gives blues fans. Uh, so this one is, to me, kind of like, do you do you value the older, the old soldier who played for the Blues longer, or do you play with the eventual Hall of Famer who did well here in St. Louis? To me, this, this is kind of a tough matchup. Uh, what do you think, Wags?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think this could go either way. It's a 50-50 split in my mind. Uh, you know, Red Berenson... He got us Gary Unger, too. That's another piece that you got to throw in there that, you know, Berenson was sought after and was able – well, maybe not sought after, but at the time maybe Detroit and and the Blues were thinking, let's just swap not superstars but very, very good forwards. And that seems to be the the reasoning behind the trade was, you know, just swapping underachieving forwards at the time. Uh, And Gary Unger ended up coming in and playing phenomenally here. He was the bright light uh, for the Blues in a dark time. But Red Berenson was good while he was here. He was good when he came back. And then he had such an illustrious coaching career as well and has nothing but good things to say about St. Louis. I think, the, I think if Doug Gilmore hadn't played for Chicago for two years, we, <laughs> might, be, uh, we might be looking at Doug Gilmore in a different light. Fair. But I do, for, to be perfectly honest, even in those two short years, I remember Doug Gilmore playing for the Blackhawks and not liking him at all not even yeah. knowing not even knowing that he was a former blues you know prospect and draft pick and all those sorts of things i just did not like him
0: but i mean yeah, gonna... he, he, people forget that gilmore played like an asshole oh, he yeah. was he was he he was a guy that that was a he was a shitster and a lot of, lot of he was one of those guys you liked to have on your team but you hated playing against
2: agreed and i mean you can see that because he won the selkie he was second in the selkie the year after he was top 5 for five straight years. So he was very, very good at what he did. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was definitely a shit disturber. I mean, in, in one year in Calgary, he had 144 penalty minutes. That, that right there, that, that doesn't scream, you know, perfectly nice. I'm going to pick your pocket. That was, I'm going to destroy you and take the puck from you. And that's probably, what he did.
0: Probably not going to win any lady being awards no. in his career. Although he was actually mentioned a couple years during this time with the blues. Yep. Um, as a possibility, actually one year in Calgary too, and then, you know, he 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 stopped, he he stopped his anger management courses.
2: Well, that, you look at it though. I mean, you just look at his statistics. I mean, he topped fifty penalty minutes a couple times in his career, and that's when he got those Bing nominations. But after that, uh, 90, season, 144, 78, 100, 105. <laughs> I mean, he was never under 70 for a few years there. So he definitely changed his style. And yeah. that's when, that's when things kind of changed for him as well, because at that point after that, he only scored 30 goals twice in the yeah. rest of his career. So he definitely had a, a swing in his, his abilities. And that also makes you sit there and go, if he, was he the guy that the blues had, or was he the guy that was the rest of his career after that, yeah. and that could that could change some people's minds as well? Because Berenson was pretty consistent throughout his entire career, whereas yeah. Gilmore seemed to kind of flip a switch. And whether that was his doing or the teams he played for doing, that might change some people's minds as well.
0: Yeah, Gilmore literally did a reverse Makita. You know, where Makita, when he started out in his career, Stan Makita, I'm talking about, uh, he was a very aggressive, mean. Um, you know, you know, he was was a smaller guy too. So he was definitely a pest and he would, he was a guy that would get over a hundred penalty minutes, you know, a season without breaking a sweat. And the story with Makita was that, you know, one day, um, his daughter was watching one of his, uh, Blackhawks games and he kept asking why daddy was in the penalty box all the time. And I guess that touched Stan Makita and, the rest of his career he became like the lady bean candidate you know it it was almost like a switch went off with him gilmore was the opposite it was the opposite where he became nastier as 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 time went on um i don't think i need to remind blues fans of why he was traded from the blues you know something to do with an underage babysitter and a civil lawsuit um another one of those you know what could have been what if he chose a different babysitter you know that was you know you know wasn't <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we're seeing his number up in the rafters here in St. Louis. Who knows? Although, worth noting, Gilmore did bounce around a little bit, so you know, I so that that that's kind of telling as to you know maybe what kind of a teammate he may have been. Um, but for me, Berenson, I mean, the, the thing that steers my vote towards Berenson's favor is the fact that he was the main engine in getting the blues to those Stanley Cup finals in those first 3 years and the league recognized it he was a he was third in the Hart voting in 1969 1970 the year before he was fourth in the Hart voting so and 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 both of those years he was a, over a, a point per game guy and he was very important to uh the the building of this team in fact you know i i still main i maintain that the trade to acquire him from the New York Rangers Maybe the biggest fleecing in Blues history. And that's saying something considering the fleecings that have gone on with this franchise. When you can get a guy like Berenson and Barkley Plager for two nobodies in their 30s, that's saying something. That is, that is amazing trading right there. Uh, so I am going to go for this one with Red Berenson. I think this one has the potential to be close in voting, though, just because I think Doug Gilmore might be the more familiar name.
2: I, I think you're right. I think I'm going to go with Barrenson too, just by a hair, uh, mainly because, like you said, he was the engine that got this team where they were going and starting off uh, their essential franchise. You know, without Red Barantsen, who knows if the Blues even sniff a Stanley Cup berth, let alone three in a row? Yeah. Um, and and then once again, it it the the progression continues. You got Barrenson and Barkley Plager. Well, then we turn Baronson into Gary Unger without Gary Unger. Who knows if the blues franchise even survives through the seventies and eighties. Uh, and then he does come back and finish his career as a blue. I, I think Berenson's the, the take here, but I think you're right. I think Gilmore might make this a little bit closer than we expect.
0: Yes, exactly. And speaking of Gary Unger, that's our next matchup here. Uh, Gary Unger, the number three seed taking on the number six seed, Jorgen Pedersen. It is the Battle of the Blondes, as we have Gary Unger, who, uh, as they used to say, as Gary Unger wins, so did the Blues, uh, taking on the handsome Swede, Jorgen Pedersen. Gary Unger, uh, he was the face of the franchise for the Blues in the 1970s, a very bad time in Blues history. In fact, he was acquired the year after the Blues' last trip to the Stanley Cup uh, final, and he was acquired, like, right at, not long after Scotty Bowman left and Al Arbor took over. So you want to talk about an, an era changing, like, overnight. You know, we went from Bowman and Berenson, you know, leading the team and going to the Stanley Cup Finals to the dark era in a snap that was led by Gary Younger, who deserved a lot better in his career. Uh, and I don't think anyone would dispute that. Nine years in the blue note for the for Gary Younger, 662 games played, 292 goals, 283 assists for 575 points. He was a minus 113 because, yeah, he played for some very awful teams. Uh, as mentioned, he was acquired for Red Berenson in 1971. He was traded away from the Blues to the Atlanta Flames for Ed Key, Don Lawrence, and a second round pick in 1981. And... That was, I believe, Unger left just because he was tired of losing, which I don't really blame him on that. Uh, Jorgen Pedersen, he played left wing for the Blues. He played... He had a short career. He played five years in St. Louis, 365 games, 161 goals, 171 assists for 332 points. He was a plus five. He played six years in total. He came over from Sweden uh, and apparently really enjoyed his time in St. Louis, and then... He was he left St. Louis. Uh, he was traded uh, to Hartford f- uh, with Mike Liute uh, for Mark Johnson and Greg Millen. That was a deal that I was telling you about with uh, Liute and his finances. Uh, Jorgen Pedersen was also one of the higher-paid players on the team, and Harry Ornis, the owner at the time, wanted to cut salary. And apparently Pedersen de- didn't like Hartford very much. He was traded uh, a few months later to Washington, and then he went back to Sweden never to be seen again in the NHL uh so we have I, I, this one I think has a risk of kind of being a blowout um Pedersen was very good in his time in St. Louis um but Gary Unger he he never Pedersen never carried the team on his back at that time because we're, we're talking about the era that Pedersen played in 80 81 up until 84 85 he still had Brian Sutter around. He still had Mike Liute around, who was carrying the team on his back uh, and almost won the heart. And then he still had, you know, for a few years, a young Doug Gilmore in there, you know, to help him out. Whereas Gary Unger in the mid 70s, well, again, there's there's a reason why I had a, such a hard time filling out the before Hall bracket, and that's because outside of like Chuck Lefley and Wayne Babbage, I didn't have much to work with in the 70s here. Uh, so for me, I, I think this one is probably going to be a route for Gary Unger. I, I think you're right, too. I mean, the reason that, you know, Patterson didn't stick around very long
2: was you could tell. And I think the Blues could tell. And that's why he was traded with Lute. I mean, yes, it was part of salary uh, as, as well. But you could see his point totals d- diminishing as well. Uh, throughout his career here in st louis even the short one i mean he came in burst onto the scene 73 points his first year 69 73 then by year four he was down to 62 and then in 84 85 he had 55 points when he was traded uh by the blues uh to hartford yeah Um, i I think it was one of those bright lights burns quickly uh whereas gary unger Never had a season under 30 goals for the Blues. Like you said, carry this team. He had the Iron Man streak. He played in 80 straight, 80 games in five straight seasons with the Blues. Uh, really only missed about six games in his entire St. Louis career. So that right there tells you something about Gary Unger. I think I think you're right. This has the risk of becoming a blowout, and I think it probably will be a blowout. You might be one of the only 100 to zeros in this round.
0: I, I w- it wouldn't shock me if it was one hundred to zero. To be honest with you, and it'd be very. Dis- I would be happy to see it because Gary Unger again is one of those players I don't think gets his just desserts for how good he was, and he just happened to play for some really awful teams during his career. He was never an All Star. He was never nominated. He never in the conversation for like a like a being. He wasn't that type of player. Um, or a you know, a heart or a, you know a, any sort of trophy whatsoever. He is one of the most underappreciated players in all of hockey. And that's I and I will fight anyone that says otherwise. <laughs> um, and I, w- I want to see him get his justice hurts here. I think he walks over Jorgen, Jorgen Peterson into a matchup. And we'll, we'll talk about the matchup to get to that point against the guy who he Unger's is going to go into next round as a lower seed, probably against our next matchup. I think Unger might win that one. I think
2: you can make a really, really good case for that because yeah. Unger carried a team, whereas Sutter, potentially who he might be going up against, he carried a team but not as much as as, as Gary did. I, I think like I said when we were talking about the previous matchup, I think Gary Unger is the reason why the Blues are still in Saint Louis. Um, I mean, they, they didn't really, I mean, there were times where financially and, and other uh, reasons why this team could have left. And I think Gary Unger and what he did for St. Louis by putting butts in the seat, essentially, he's the reason why St. Louis still has a hockey team, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. And let's just go ahead and jump into our next matchup here, which I think uh, will probably be a formality unless we have some really Diehard Wayne Babbage fans. It's number two, Brian Sutter against number seven, Wayne Babbage. Uh, Babbage was a uh, right winger for the Blues. Uh, He played, he started in the late 70s, was with Brian Sutter in the uh, early 80s, the very early 80s, uh, kind of known for being a one hit wonder where he ended up getting 54 goals in 1980, 81. Uh, he had 42 assists that year for 96 points in total scored 40 even strength goals that was tops in uh, the NHL that year he uh was uh he was third in the all-star voting and uh, he, he didn't even he didn't even win an all-star he didn't he 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 wasn't even recognized really uh the, uh, the closest that babbage got to a trophy was third in the calder in his rookie year in 78 79 when he had 27 goals and 36 assists he was um Another one of those guys that I think, you know, shine bright early on and then kind of faded as time went on. Uh, that I think that pretty well defines Wayne Babbage's career as a blue in general. Um, he uh, was traded. Uh, he was actually claimed. Uh, he left the blues by being claimed by Pittsburgh in the waiver draft. That's uh, that's how low that Babbage had kind of sunk. Uh, he was a third overall pick at one point two, So, um, Barry kind of an interesting player to talk about just cause you know, he, you know, he had, uh, you know, he had the acclaim of a third overall pick. He had that one really good year and then surrounded by just kind of, eh, and then his career kind of, kind of, you know, fell apart in total with the blues. He played 396 games, 155 goals, 190 assists for 345 points. He was a minus 18 Brian Sutter. On the other hand, um, a guy that's, uh, um, power forward comes to mind when I think of Brian Sutter. He played 12 years in the NHL, all with the St. Louis Blues. He was a second round pick by the Blues, 20th overall in the 1976 draft. And he debuted in, with the Blues in 76-77. He retired in 87-88. And then he became a coach, the coach for the Blues for, the couple, for a couple years after that. And um, he had, he played 779 games with the Blues, 303 goals, 333 assists for 636 points. He was a minus 66 throughout his career. Um, he was mentioned in the heart voting a couple times. He was sixth in 84, 85 in the heart voting, and then 10th in 82, 83 but never really outside of that was too close to winning trophies. I mean, he was a selkie candidate in the same year he was uh, six in the heart as well. Um, a good player. Uh, make no mistake about it. He was a good player, and he was a he was a guy you did not look forward to playing against. He had a mean streak to him. He had one thousand seven hundred eighty six penalty minutes in his twelve uh, year career. So that's uh, that's a lot. That is definitely a lot. Um, but when I say, and I think, I think he takes Babbage here, no problem. Um, but the, for me, the argument goes, I went going back to Unger. Um, like you said, Wags, I don't think, I mean, yes, Sutter's name hangs from the rafters. Unger's doesn't, which kind of shocks me to be honest with you. Um, for me, I just... I look at what Sutter contributed to the Blues. I mean, yes, he was kind of uh, Mr. 80s pre-Hall before the Blues. He was the face of the franchise probably in the early 80s. And then he was the coach of the Blues from 88 to 92, which deserves mentioning as well. But for me, what Unger did in those dark days and still putting up the numbers that he did, to me, it weighs more with me. And, I, and that's why I think when Sutter beats Babbage and Unger beats Pedersen, that next matchup is going to be an interesting one, but I think it's one that I think Unger wins.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think you can't look solely at numbers, but in this case, you, you really should because you take the teams that Unger played for and you can't really name anybody else that were on those teams. But when yeah. you look at Sutter, you know, like you've talked, you've, you've got Frederico, you've got a Gilmore, you've got, uh, you know, Joe Mullen was there. Mike Leute was there. There are there people around him and the teams were were halfway decent. I wouldn't say that they were great, but they were halfway decent. They were teams that weren't necessarily getting blown out all the time. Uh, yeah. Whereas when Unger was playing, that team was getting blown out a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the fact that, that they were still able to make a Blues game an event, they were still able to get, the, the just sell at the arena uh, people knew who Gary Unger wa- was you know he was a, a, a local celebrity essentially um, you know Brian Unger Brian Unger <laughs> Gary Unger meant <laughs> meant a lot I mean Sutter meant a lot to the Blues organization in St. Louis as a whole but Gary Unger I think holds more reverence uh, when it comes to overall as, as far as the Blues are concerned um, Brian Sutter great player a favorite son somebody that'd be welcomed back with open arms no matter what. But, you know, he wasn't here for that Blues alumni game, for the All-Star game. Gary Unger was. And I think that gives you a little bit of a uh, an insight into where people think of as far as Unger and Sutter. They still love Sutter. They think he's great. But somehow or another, Unger was brought back for this alumni game. And Brian Sutter really wasn't mentioned or around, which is really kind of scary considering – how much he meant to the to the mid seventy mid seventies early eighties teams um, that you don't hear as much about Brian Sutter as you think, uh, even though his numbers up in the rafters.
0: Yeah, it, it's it, it's a very interesting history to be sure, and I can't wait till we can get to that matchup and debate it further. But that's gonna do it for the before Hall forward region. Now let's go into the after Hall forward region, one that I think will spur on a lot of debate as uh, it did in the first round. Um and the first matchup in this region, uh, will be the number one seeded Brett Hall. Of course, this is his region after all. Uh, he is taking on number nine Adam Oates. So, have you heard of Hall and Oates fans? Well, you probably remember the band maybe from the '80s, but if you talk to blues fans, Hall and Oates meant the partnership between Brett Hall and Adam Oates. Oates was the playmaking center. Brett Hall was the flamboyant, uh, fl- uh, flashy right-winger that got gobs of goals, uh, stuff of legend. Both are Hall of Famers, and you you thinking, well, if these two work so well together, they surely play with each other for their entire career, right? <laughs> Wrong. The Blues traded Edemotes to Boston for Craig Janney and Stefan Quintal because, guess what, money. Was a reason for that. So, just same re- fans. It, it's it's it, it, if a, if your star player is having a contract dispute and you don't trade him for Craig Janney or Mike Bullard or any other bum that you can think of just to save a few bucks, it doesn't work. Adam Oates and uh, Joe Mullen are in the same category in that regard. Brett Hall, you know all about Brett Hall, and no, he's not just the town drunk. He played 11 years for the St. Louis Blues, 744 games played, 527 goals, 409 assists in the Blue Notes for 936 points, and uh, he is an absolute Blues legend, taking on his uh, former uh, partner, Adam Oates. Adam Oates played a total of three seasons in St. Louis, 195 games played, 58 goals, but 228 assists for 286 points in 20 games. Of course, Adam Oates, another one of those players that went on to higher acclaim elsewhere. And I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever. This might be a 100 to nothing matchup here um, between Hall and Oates because, I mean, Brett Hall's contributions to the Blues are just almost unquantifiable. Uh, You you cannot deny that Hall, uh, what Hall meant to this franchise. And Adam Oates sadly he, he he deserves more acclaim in this bracket because of how good of a player he was it's just that he did a lot of his work elsewhere and that's unfortunate and it's a shame um but for me wags i think this one's all whole
2: this this is this is the
0: tough one for me
2: because it should be brett hall mm-hmm. but you could make a hell of an argument for adam oates because okay in the years that he was here brett hall Scored 72, 86, and 70. Yeah. Okay. After that, his highest goal total was 57. So how much of Brett Hall was because of Adam Oates and how much of Adam Oates was because of Brett Hall? Um, you look at Oates' career as a whole, and you said he did a lot of his hay after he left. Um, he made everybody else around him better, no matter where he was at. I mean, you look at his point totals, his assist totals in his in his career. Uh, with Boston in six years, 357. With the, the Capitals, 290. With Detroit, 145. Uh, with the Blues, obviously, 228. Even with the, the one year he spent uh, in Edmonton, 16. And I'm trying to figure out who, who MDA is. I cannot remember who MDA is. Oh, Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Oh, that's right. Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. 36 assists in his his 40 his year 40 season. Yeah. This this dude made so many players around him better and players made contracts off of what Adam Oates was doing for them in those positions. So you could argue that in his 3 years in St. Louis, he made more of an impact on the Blues than Brett Hall in a sense because who's to say Brett Hall scores 72, 86 and 70 in in, in those three years if Adam Oates isn't here? Uh, I still think it's Brett Hall no question but how was Adam Oates' impact far more greater than what Brett Hall was doing for St. Louis in those three years?
0: Well you haven't you make the good point there because you know as you mentioned um, Brett Hall's highest goal total was a 93.94 after roads with 57. He went from getting 131 points in 1990-91 with Oates, down to 109, down to 101, then 97, then 50. Uh, I believe he had uh, some injury issues that year. Yep. Then 83, 82, 70. I mean, the the the, the plateau is there to see, and it, it is the Adam Oates plateau with Brett Hall. Um, and on the flip side of that. You could almost argue when you look at the numbers and just at the ratio of points in his career. Um he had this Adam Oates had two hundred eighty six points in one hundred and ninety-five games. That is a that is like a point and a half per game. He never matched that kind of ratio of production elsewhere. He was still a very good player in Boston. He was still a good player in Washington, and he is a Hall of Famer. And I and I, and I and I think that's deserved. But you could argue that Adam Oates had his best years in St. Louis, and he had his best years because of Brett Hall as well. Um, again, it's just one of those things where y- you find a good partnership uh, between two players that just have remarkable chemistry, and they'll take you to places you would never have foreseen. We're, we're seeing that the, mo- the modern-day equivalent of that would be like O'Reilly and Perron. Yep. You know, Two guys that when you pair them together, you don't necessarily think might be, you know, really great. And then they just, they, they surprise you. And I think that was the same thing with Hall and Oates. Cause remember Adam Oates was acquired for Bernie Federco. You know, Federco was on this, on the downswing of his career. Adam Oates was considered a good center in Detroit, but he wasn't a great one. Uh, at least not yet. They didn't, they didn't see Oates hitting the levels that he did in St. Louis. And he and then and beyond that. And I think I think Adam Oates made Brett Hall perhaps a little bit as much as Hall made Bradham made Adam Oates. I think he elevated Oates's game to a point where when he left St. Louis, he was able to help others. I don't think quite to the same level. He never had another partnership like he did with Brett Hall. No. But I think I think this was a case of two players making each other better, uh, mm-hmm. definitely for sure. Um, but for me, this, it's still Brett Hall, just because you know uh, the overall body of production during his time with the Blues, you can't really compare. And like I said, that's not fair. That's not fair to Adam Oates. And it just goes to show you how stupid it was that he was traded in the first place. But uh, you know, I wasn't Ron Caron back then, so. And they don't build
2: the arena without Brett Hall here.
0: True. They don't, yeah, the yeah. Enterprise Center slash Scott Trade Center slash Savas Center slash Keel Center is the place that Brett Hall built. Okay, so that's, that's and, and keep in mind, when the Blues got Brett Hall, they were just a few years removed from Saskatoon and missing the NHL draft, and Ralston Purina just leaving this team for dead. Um, They weren't that far removed from that. So, yeah, Brett Hall's, impact to the organization in that regard cannot be overlooked. Well, and so, and
2: Brett, Brett Hall was also a chubby underperforming forward at that time as well. So right. it's not like he was coming in as the savior that we knew him to be. He was coming in as a, as a experiment, essentially. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that's crazy is that he changed his entire uh, work ethic when he got to St. Louis. So, you know, it, it, you talk about Hall and Oates being a great combination, Hall and the Blues we're a great combination as well. And, and the fact that you can put those two together, that's probably one of the reasons why he is going to probably take this, the you know, this whole bracket right here is because the synergy between those two is there. When you think of blues, you think of hall. When you think of hall, you think of blues, even though he won his cups in Dallas and Detroit and fans in those cities are, are enamored by him as well. Even in Phoenix too. Uh, it, you still think with Brett Hall, you still think St. Louis blues.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely for sure, and it's like it's like I often like to think, you know, like Brett Hall was acquired for Rob Ramage and Rick Wamsley. Like, what would be the equivalent of that today? You know, like it would, it, 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 I mean, it would it would be the equivalent. I I think I think the best comparison could be made like a couple years ago, like if the Blues traded Kevin Shattenkirk and Brian Elliott, you know, for like Philippe Forsberg or something like that, you know. Uh, you know, someone, someone, a prospect that definitely has talent, but you don't know exactly what he is yet. You know that deal to get Brett Hall. If Brett Hall remained uncommitted to the to improving his conditioning in his game, that could have blown up in the Blues' faces badly. Because Rob Ramage was a heck of a defender back in his day, and Wamsley wasn't chop liver either. And Brett Hall was the centerpiece of that deal. It's not Steve Bozak. I mean, I mean, I don't. I, I don't recall what he even did for this team you know so it just it's just one of the interesting what ifs uh, that we can make. Um, speaking of what ifs, um, of course uh, wish he was still with us, but he's not. Um, number four seated Pavel Dimitra, uh takes on number 12 seated Ryan O'Reilly in probably the most intriguing matchup out of any matchup we have had so far that we've mentioned today. Pavel Dimitra, left winger for the St. Louis Blues, also played right wing. He uh, played eight years for the Blues, 204 goals, 289 assists, 493 points for 494 points in 90. He had a plus 99 as well. Uh, he was like almost like the successor to Brett Hall in terms of being that flashy, uh, productive offensive forward. Acquired for Krister Olson, who I hope he's doing well, whatever he is he's doing nowadays. Um, he was the, uh, Dimitra was the, uh, 1999-2000 Lady Bing Award winner. Uh, people forget that Dimitra wasn't bad defensively. That same year, Dimitra was sixth in Selkie voting, which when you think of Dimitra, you don't think of his two-way ability, but he wasn't bad in that regard. He definitely was not bad in that regard. A uh, year before with the Blues, uh, Dimitra was 12th in the Hart voting. He was fourth in the Bing voting as well. And he ended up uh, leaving the Blues as a free agent Um, in 2004. He went to the LA Kings, and this was during the uh, lockout era. Ryan O'Reilly. Well, we all know Ryan O'Reilly by now. He wins all the trophies. He wins the Stanley Cup for the Blues. He wins the Conn Smythe Award. He wins the Selkie, and he is just amazing, guys. He's just amazing. Uh, been with the blues now for almost, uh, two full years, 153 games played 40 goals, 98 assists for 138 points in a plus 33. And of course, uh, let's not forget that, uh, O'Reilly was acquired in another great fleecing of St. Louis blues history, uh, being acquired for Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Sabotka, Taze Thompson, and a first round pick and a second round pick in 2021 in a deal that, uh, God, I was so happy when that deal was made. I I think I made that clear last episode. So how do we get to this point? Well, Demetra took care of Scott Young in the first round pretty easily, 91 to 9. Ryan O'Reilly, as I mentioned, was a number twelve seed. And he took on another beloved figure of Blues history in David Backus, who was a number five seed in this, and for a few years was the Blues best player. Ryan O'Reilly tomahawked David Backus 87-13 to 13 in the first round. And so we now have a matchup, Wags, between not just one beloved figure in Blues history, but two. Because I think you will not find Blues fans have anything bad to say about Dimitri either. I don't know where to go with this one, Wags. I truly do not know where to go. I was not expecting O'Reilly to clobber Bacchus like he did, Um, but he did, and it, I just I just don't know.
2: If that matchup were closer between O'Reilly and Bacchus, it, it would make my decision a little bit easier. Yeah. But like you said, he absolutely destroyed Bacchus. He was a town favorite, a fan favorite, uh, a pretty good player, the captain for this team for a while as well. Uh, he just demolished him, and I oh man, I am so torn on this because Pavel Dimitra was one of the guys that I latched onto in that Same. late '90s, early '2000s period. Um, just because you know he wasn't he wasn't the name superstar, but he was so good. He was a hard worker. He was just a guy that embraced the city. I, I use that a lot when talking about guys when they're embracing the city. Uh, that's a big piece for me is a, a guy that will, you know, not will make his home here. Will you know be out in the community just doing normal things and interacting with people. He he came into my movie theater uh, a couple of different times uh, when I was a you know a sixteen year old kid working his first job uh, and just being able to see him interact with people at that age in, in that environment. Uh, it spoke wonders, but then you look at Ryan O'Reilly and what he's done, and how he has embraced the city in such a short amount of time. It it, it equals what Dimitri does, and then he won the Stanley Cup, the Conn Smythe, you know, the Selkie. You know, you look at his 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 uh, dedication to to his craft. You know, first and last off the ice, along with David Perron. You, you really, like you said earlier, you've seen what what O'Reilly and Perron can do together. Perron's not a good as good a player as he is right now if not for Ryan O'Reilly coming in last year I don't think. Yeah. I think you got a wildly different player in David Perron. So his impact on this team cannot be
0: overstated and I don't know who to pick. <laughs> <laughs> I I I honestly I don't know either and um just as a small aside I and mean, we're talking about all the the wars that O'Reilly won I mean with the way this season was going for him, he still had 12 goals and 49 assists this year, um, basically matching his assist total from last year in 71 games. I mean, we can't even count the awards that O'Reilly could win when the regular season is declared dead and we do awards for this past season because there's they, they still got to divvy those out as well. For me, I am... I'm going Dimitra. But it's it's hard. It is so hard because because I love I I almost like both players just about equally. I yep. hold I hold them in such high regard. But for me, it's just it's just again, it, it was the same reason. I think I went back in the first round over Riley. It's it's the overall body of work, you know, and Demetra and in all six in all eight of his years. He was generally the same player. He, I mean, he had a couple really good years. He peaked in two thousand two, two thousand three, with ninety three points. Uh, but really, for throughout his entire career, he was a, he was on the ice. He was like, from game to game. He can be a little up and down, but the overall body of work generally was there with, with Um And you know what? Actually, hang, hang on a sec. I know. Um, I'm. I'm gonna say I was gonna go the
2: complete opposite with you. The- I'm. Go- I'm going O'Reilly.
0: The, the 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 one knock I think Demetra has is when you compare him to a guy like O'Reilly, O'Reilly is a guy that can make players around him better, uh, like in the case of David Perron, for instance. I don't know if Demetra had that ability. I mean, he was a he was really good as part of an ensemble. Um, but he never I don't think he particularly elevated anyone else's career. Um, the way that O'Reilly has done with Perron and <sighs> O'Reilly,
2: <laughs> I you That's know, it. Prose- yep.
0: I rest. Uh, I'm going.
2: I'm going O'Reilly too because of what what he did in year one. Uh, and I'm not talking about the Stanley Cup win or the Conn Smythe or anything like that. I'm talking about the fact that he was coming in less than three months essentially after pretty much coming out and saying he lost his love for hockey and Mm -hmm. lost his love for the game, uh, to not only come into a new team, yes, that's going to reinvigorate you a little bit, but he came in at the very start of last season, this team was not very good. Uh, and you could, you could not begrudge him from sitting there going, man, this is exactly what I had in Buffalo. What the heck did I just do? Yeah. But instead, he flipped it, and I think it's because he knew what was in the room. In Buffalo, they didn't have the the chemistry or the the camaraderie that I think the Blues have, and I think he saw that, and he was the best player on this team from the very start of the season, and he did not let up. Uh, And for a guy coming into a brand-new team, not really knowing what the leadership was like and what to expect and where he fit, for him to just go out there and step up, grab it, and go – uh, and then, like you said, to your point, making the players around him better. Yeah, um, I as tough as it is, as big of a Demetri fan as I am,
0: yeah, and it's hard. I think
2: it's O'Reilly. I, I, I do, and and that's that's crazy, and it's going to be if that's the case, and he moves on, it could be a really interesting argument going up against Brett Hall.
0: Yeah, it, it is, and and I think O'Reilly's ability, leadership quality like that, his ability to step up. And do the little things. I mean, there's so, he's one of those guys that I that has to be a stat analyst dream because of all the little things he does uh, on his own zone. He's a great faceoff guy. Um, you know, it's it's the, the the thing that and it just kind of highlights to me again. Dimitra, at no, I don't think at any point during his time as a blue. Was Dimitra ever put on a similar pedestal that, like a Brett Hall was? He was never at any point, I think, really ever truly considered like the franchise. He was not, and I think that was just part, of, partly, just because of his personality. I don't think Pavel Dimitra um, had the personality to be a superstar. I mean, I think he, I think he, I mean, he was a good guy by all accounts, but he was. He was a guy that put on his helmet, went to work every day, um, did his thing, and you know it's it, and it's not, it's not it's not a knock on him per se, but we're we're trying to uh, decide the greatest blue of all time here, and Dimitri was good. He was he was a very good player, even I have a hard time applying the great level label to him though, just because it just it just seems there was always a gear with Demetra that was present but he never quite got to whereas O'Reilly you know he's going you know full gear every time so yeah i, I think you've kind of talked me into it wags i i think it's i think it's O'Reilly
2: it, it's still going to be close uh, i mean incredibly you, you talk about it, about that and Demetra in two different stints with the or two different seasons with the blues had 10 game winning goals yeah. so it's it's you know he had a, he had a pretty good clutch gene but i think you're right i think his temperament and his, his personality didn't lend itself to being a superstar. Right. Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly is a superstar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very. Dimitra reminds me of, of like Tarasenko light, you know, at yeah. times very, very just, he's, he, he's, he's a low, he's a, he's a poor man's version of Tarasenko basically, which means he's not Tarasenko either. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, so we'll go with O'Reilly. And that's not, again, like I said, Demetrius is a very good player. I held him in high regard, but he's in the hall very good. He's not in the hall great. He's not in the hall of fame either. So, um, next matchup here. Uh, this one could be interesting as well, just because of the fact that these two were kind of the face of uh, the 2000s of the Blues. Uh, number three, Keith Kachuk versus number six, Doug Waite. So Kachuk, of course, he played uh, nine years for the St. Louis Blues, 543 games played, 209 goals, 219 assists for 427 points, was an even plus minus, and he had 677 penalty minutes. He was a power forward to be sure, and then he played many years with his uh, uh, opponent here in this matchup, Doug Waite. Uh, Doug Waite uh, played a total of six years with the St. Louis Blues, Definitely more of a playmaker. 364 games played, 75 goals, 220 assists for 295 points. And um, getting here, uh, Keith Kachuk defeated TJ Oshie in a matchup that I guess was a little closer than I thought it would be, but maybe I shouldn't be too surprised. 73-27, to 27 Kachuk over Oshie. And then in the other close matchup of the first round, Doug Waite beat Jaden Schwartz 60-40. to 40. Um and then now that that's how that that's how they have gotten to this point here, I'm giving the edge in this one to Kachuk. Um, I think I don't think at any point during their times in St. Louis, I ever thought Wait was the better player. In fact, I remember Wait kind of being a little divisive. Um, I think there was a, a a sect of Blues fans that thought Doug Wade was a little overrated maybe a little overpaid, and I never heard that about Kachuk. And I I give the edge of Kachuk here. What do you think, Wags? I agree. I think uh, with Doug Waite, I'm shocked that he was
2: with the Blues for six years. I didn't realize he was here for that long of a time. Felt longer to uh, me, actually, but maybe
0: I, I, was, I wasn't fully in that fan base, but it felt like he was a Blue for a long time.
2: Yeah. And for me, I don't
0: know. I mean, it definitely didn't seem like six years. So for me, it seems shorter.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I can see the argument of where people were like Doug Waite was a guy that, uh, was, I wouldn't say overpaid, but not maybe worth the amount of money they were paying him. Yeah. Um, in, in that sense. Uh, but I mean, I loved, I loved Doug Waite when it was here, uh, but I loved Keith Kachuk more, yeah. uh, because of, you know, he was the, the every man, he was the guy going to the front of the net, uh, he was the guy on the power play. Doug Waite was on the power play as well. But when the goals were scored, it was because Keith Kachuk uh, made it happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Kachuk is just a guy, I mean, he, he reinvigorated uh, this fan base because he came in in 2000, 2001. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was this, this was that, that time frame where you know Pronger, McKinnis, those guys were there kind of nearing their end of their times here. Uh, so it was really like a passing of the torch from those guys to Keith Kachuk. And he took it up and he ran with it after all those years in Winnipeg and and, and Phoenix. I mean, he played in Winnipeg-Phoenix for a total of 10 years. Uh, And then all of a sudden, he played another nine in St. Louis. Uh, So it's not like, you know, his career was ending. When he came to St. Louis, he was 28. So he was still kind of in the prime of his career. And in the the first three years, he was with us, 38 goals, 31 goals, 33 goals. Um, He was uh, essentially a point-per-game player. For the Blues, he just made so much sense for the Blues at the time. And he was such a big part of this organization. Both these guys were held in high regard. Uh, They both were traded and re-signed with the Blues uh, a couple of different times. So the, the Blues organization thought highly of them and the team's that they traded for them thought highly enough of them to be the final pieces of a, of a potential Stanley cup run. It didn't really, didn't really work out so much for Keith Kachuk, a little bit more for Doug Waite when he went to Carolina. uh, And then, you know, not so much when he went to Anaheim, Uh, but you know, they both were integral parts of the blues organization. But for me, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more wide open than I think. I think Kachuk wins this pretty handily.
0: Yeah, I agree. In fact, actually it's, it's funny when, when you're talking about when the blues acquired Kachuk, I remember the day that the Blues traded for him. Uh the Blues had Eric Lindros in St. Louis uh undergoing a physical at a local hospital. They actually showed it on the like Channel 4 news, you know, that night video of Lindros going into a hospital. He that's how close we were to Eric Lindros being a St. Louis Blue. Now, Eric Lindros's time as a Blue probably would have been very short because he was, by 2001, Lindros was fully in the, you know, one hit could kill you kind of a, you know, part of his career because he had terrible concussion issues. So I think the Blues may have dodged a bullet there with by going with Kachuk instead of Lindros. But that's just kind of a fun thing to think about. You know, the Blues, it was either Kachuk or Lindros for the Blues. You know, and that, that was an exciting time to be a Blues fan. Um, the Blues traded, they they gave up a decent package for yes. Kachuk too. Michael Hansus had a good, a long career. Uh, Ladislav Nagy was a pretty good player for the Coyotes for a while, uh, and then, of course, a first-round choice as well was traded. Whereas the package for Doug Waite was Marty Reisner, who was okay, uh, Jochen Hesch, who was okay, and then Jan Horacek, who I don't think ever played in the NHL. So, um, and, and of course, it was interesting too is that that both Kachuk and Wait. They both were acquired within months of each other in 2001 they both were traded at two at, 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 at a couple points in their careers as true rental deals uh, in 2007 Kachuk was traded to Atlanta for Glenn Metropolitan and two first rounders one of which was traded back to Atlanta for um, Keith Kachuk uh, so which which, which and by the way that first round pick became Zach Bogosian so whew uh, that's one. That's when the uh, Blues dodge. Although we, I think you had mentioned it. I think it was the last time Petrangelo was up in this. Uh, it could have been the Blues taking Bagosian instead of Petrangelo. Yeah, so perish the thought. And then Doug Waits. He, uh, people, you may have forgotten that he was actually traded to Carolina. Um, for Jesse Bulleries, Mike Zigabanis, uh, the rights to a guy named Magnus Konberg, who I think came over to the AHL and just didn't like America and went back and a first-round pick that was later traded. And then he signed as a free agent with the Blues a few months later. And then, he, of course, he became Andy McDonald in the end. But, yeah, this one's definitely Kachuk for me. Just just a couple interesting little anecdotal stuff and just kind of shows the parallels of how you know those two times in St. Louis were. It's just that Kachuk was the better player.
2: Yeah, most so. definitely. And, and talking about those trades, just digging deeper into those uh, – Man, I, I tell you what, if the Blues would have kept Atlanta's first-round pick that they got for Keith Kachuk, they could have had Michael Backlund as well.
0: <laughs> Scary. Uh, that's mm, Mikhail, but, yeah, that, that would have been nice. That would have been I, nice for sure. Most all definitely. Right. our final matchup here, and that's partly because my laptop battery is dying on me a little bit here. So um, our final matchup, number two, Vladimir Tarasenko versus number 10, Pierre Turgeon. Uh Vladimir Tarasenko, we all know how good Vlad is. Uh, he, of course, won the cup with the Blues last year, uh, 507 games played for the Blues, 214 goals, 214 assists for 428 points. Uh, he is a 75 positive uh, in plus uh, in plus minus. Uh, of course, he was acquired for, or his pick, rather, was acquired for David Roonblad from Ottawa, another Ottawa heist. Again, another parallel you can draw between Tarasenko and Dimitra. Very because true. Because Dimitra was also ripped off from Ottawa, so for basically nothing. So, sorry, Chris Rolson. Sorry, David Rubloid. Um, And then you have, uh, he's taking on Pierre Turgeon, a.k.a. Art Lippo's most underappreciated blues player ever. Um, Turgeon, in his time in St. Louis, he uh, played five years in the Blue Note, 327 games played, 134 goals, 221 assists for 355 points. He was a plus 65, which, by the way, he's... Turjan had multiple stops in his career. That's his highest plus minus he had with any team. So that's interesting to note. Uh, Turjan was acquired in um, right after Wayne Gretzky flew to uh, New York and went to the Rangers. Uh, Turjan was acquired October 29, 1996, from Montreal, along with Craig Conroy and Rory Fitzpatrick for Murray Barron, Shane Corson, and a fifth round pick in 1997. Definitely a trade that worked out very nicely for the St. Louis Blues. Um, Shane Corson was kind of disappointing. Barron was kind of winding down his career. And Conroy, I, I liked Craig Conroy an awful lot when he was a Blue. And I was kind of sad when he was traded, but I understood why. To get more of an offensive forward. Uh, Turjan again, he's one of those guys I think is criminally underrated, and I agree with Art Lippo in that. Now, one difference between Tarasenko and Turjan Guess which one is the point-per-game player? Uh, I cheated. I already looked. And I know it's Pierre Terjean. Turjan <laughs> is actually, you know, per game, had more points than the Tarasenko. Although, you know, turjan was definitely more of a playmaker. A lot of those were assists. He liked to uh, work behind the net a lot. Um, this is a matchup. If you're looking at pure numbers, actually it's kind Terjean. of close. And technically, if you're looking at pure numbers, it's Turgan. and one could make the argument that maybe Turjan should have been the higher seed, but I don't think Turjan was ever as feared as much as Tarasenko was. Uh, Pierre Turgan uh, never had a forty-goal season, although he actually—I take it back. Turgenev had a fifty-eight goal season with the Islanders, um, hmm. and and two
2: with Buffalo too. So
0: and Buffalo, but never never as a blue. No, no, no. Which is, uh, gosh, you know, it's tough. This is another tough one. I thought this was going to be an easy one because you, you think about the two, and you think about the. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko. He is, at least up until the last year was the face of the franchise he got on the cover of nhl 17 on ea sports but my god turgeon um criminally underrated I criminally mean, underrated his stats are there yeah and that, it's his
2: it's, last it's, season with the blues he had 82 points and and Terrasenko's never hit the 80 point mark
0: no and yet we often think about you know if the blues are without <laughs> tarasenko they're gonna fall apart well, guess what? The Blues were without Tarasenko for much of this season, and they're still number one in the West. This is this may be less about Pierre Turgeon, and do we have to start asking some questions about Tarasenko? <laughs> I mean, in our and our perception of him.
2: I think we do. I mean, you talk about him being feared. He, he is feared. He is a guy that just like a guy like Ovechkin, when that. Puck is on his, his stick. You don't know when it's coming off, you don't know where it's going. It's it's deadly. It's a it's an amazing shot. Uh but he's not as uh consistent as Ovechkin is. Uh he is not uh is you know over the last couple of years we talked about this when we talked to the first round matchup. Tarasenko has really changed his style of play over the last few years. He's definitely becoming more of a two-way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you see him back on defense a lot more. You see him on the PK a little bit. He's blocking shots. He definitely has embraced the team mentality of it, um, which actually kind of brings him down and closer to what Pierre Turgeon was as a blue as well. He was a team first guy. He wasn't a superstar. He had the superstar name. And what he did in, in you know, Montreal and, and with New York um, you know, and Buffalo, essentially, he, he was a big-time guy, a big-name guy. But he was definitely a two-way forward when he was with the Blues. He never had like outstanding goal scoring or assist streaks or anything like that. He did have good points, but he was a two-way forward. He was in the Selkie and Bing conversations a couple of years here with the Blues. So I'm actually thinking, yeah, Tarasenko has actually drifted down into Pierre Turgeon company versus Turgeon lifting up to Tarasenko. So this is a lot closer than I think
0: we thought. And I'm, I'm leaning towards Pierre. I am too. In fact, I think that's my pick here. I think it's Pierre Turgeon, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> I, I seriously can't. I because uh, when I got to this matchup and all up until I started looking at the numbers, I this this should have been a walkover for Vladimir, but it just Pierre was good. He was really good. He was an exceptional player. Uh, no, he didn't. I, I I don't want to say he has he didn't have the flash of Tarasenko because I thought Terjan actually was pretty flashy as a player. I mean he you know he was a very uh a fun guy to watch on the ice. He was he was a very creative player. Um, yeah, think, I'm go, I'm going with Turchon here.
2: But think about the buzz that Tarasenko has generated around the league and around uh, around St. Louis as far as just just perception. I'm not talking numbers, but when you think perception um you know people you know the national media they do talk about Vladimir Tarasenko now granted we didn't really you know know so much about the national media back in you know the the mid-90s early 2000s and how Terjan was part of it he could have very well been in the same vein as, as Vladimir Tarasenko but I just remember the hype and the buzz around Tarasenko mainly because of his age and you know he's a Russian player he was you know, they always talk about Russian players and how they translate to the American game, and he was pretty good, and he burst onto the scene and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, that that's the one big thing with Tarasenko is he's got that buzz around him. But you're right. I think when you look at at, at brass tacks and numbers, it's Pierre Terzan. and I'm, I'm going to go with you, and we're going to call a second upset in this bracket, and we're going to go Terjean.
0: Yeah, this is this is David versus Goliath here and and we are picking David or David for sure or I guess as they would say in uh, you know, French Canada, David. Uh we're going with David over Goliath in uh in this matchup. So, yeah, turjan Yeah, let's let, let's do it. Heck with it. It's everything's madness anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh as I mentioned um uh last week we are doing two polls a day, one from each region. Um I will do uh start those at noon on Monday. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, new polls, you know, from each region, uh, one from each region every single day at Blue Notes Pod on Twitter. Looking forward to seeing more of your votes, maybe some discussion about some of these players as well. And uh, yeah, Wags, any final thoughts? This is this is going to be a interesting round, I think. Uh, I'm shocked at the picks we
2: made today, um, but I think they are good picks. I know, <laughs> man, you <laughs> sound like
0: Jim Ora there. Yeah. We're talking Turgeon. about Kershan. And, and and then earlier it was like, O'Reilly, we're talking about <laughs> Wow, a Jim Moran and Alan Iverson,
2: you know, in, in the H- hockey talk,
0: that works. Yeah, definitely. righty, well, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of Blue Notes. Wanna well, thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, there is no hockey podcast network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. listening to the hockey podcast network on twitter at hockey Podnet. new episodes every monday and thursday download at the hockey or wherever you get your podcasts from